get ready for a dose of contagious willpower. Today I'm speaking with Chris Shangi, one of the founder of the award-winning yoga magazine Ananda. We will speak about her amazing life and how she simultaneously embraces, integrates and transcends disability. Hello Yogi, welcome to my podcast. I'm Aiko and on this show we explore ways to put spiritual theory into sustainable practice. Welcome Krishangi, I'm very happy to have you here. I'm very honored you accept my invitation. Thank you. Thank you. And um, would you like to introduce yourself for those who don't know you a little bit? Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Kaisa Maria Krishangi Leka. I'm a comics artist and an adventurer. Uh, I do bike trips and paddling trips together with my partner Christopher and we we create and publish comics and graphic novels together. I also do a little bit of graphic design. I teach a little bit. I'm a kind of a typical freelancer that I always have a lot of stuff going on. And I've also been doing yoga and meditation for over 20 years, actually. Time goes wow. by quickly and I feel like a beginner, but it's actually been quite a while. Mm. And uh, um, what's your, your relationship with, uh, with yoga? Yeah, yoga came into my life in 1998 mm. uh, in the form of bhakti yoga. Uh, I was never looking for, for anything like that. I, I wasn't interested in religion or spirituality or or anything like that but I did feel that there was something lacking in my life and I I thought it was was uh, sort of like one of these things that the society tries to push on us like having mm-hmm. a career being successful materially um, I I remember actually telling someone that I wanted to be rich and famous. Those were my my actual desires. So I wasn't like the, you know, the inquisitive type who goes out looking for for mm. spiritual truths. But I was feeling very intensely that something was lacking. I wasn't happy with my life. And so when I uh, got to know know the devotees uh, when I got to know bhakti yogis I kind of quickly realized that that these might be the answers that I've been looking for mm-hmm. or that I wasn't consciously looking for but but this might be the solution to the to the intense um, feeling of dissatisfaction that I had with my life and with having you know been a good daughter and a good student and getting good grades at school and so on but still feeling very empty inside i think i i also was sort of uh, claiming to be an atheist but what i actually was was really angry at god uh, because of my disability because i had malformed feet and i i felt that it was so unfair that i would have to suffer uh, from having a having a malformed body and while others were seemingly you know perfectly happy and healthy and of course the older you get the more you realize that everyone has their own 
burden to carry everyone has their own problems and and that like perfectly happy and healthy person that I imagined seeing all around me doesn't really exist yeah but at that time I I felt like like I was being punished for no reason and and becoming familiar with yoga philosophy and the concepts of karma and reincarnation made a huge difference for me it felt like my world that had felt so like scary and chaotic and dark suddenly started to make sense like Mm -hmm. things it started to feel like there's a meaning to all of this and there's a there's a system sort of uh, of justice behind it all and and that to me was an extremely comforting thought so that was kind of the starting point for me on my my yoga path finding those those answers to to the questions that I hadn't really dared to openly ask that's very very beautiful to hear and the reason I wanted to interview you is that Although you have now prosthetic legs, you're like hundred or thousand times more physically active than myself. <laughs> and you do difficult yoga asanas, you have bike around the world from the North Pole to California and not quite the North Pole, but yeah. <laughs> you were there oh. <laughs> oh, from Alaska, yeah. Yeah. You paddle across Russia. So I'm wondering where you get your power, where you get your inspiration and all this. You know, I often see people totally healthy and still, you know, maybe they stay in front of the TV. They watch the world from that big square in front of them. And you also manage to to make your hobby your daily life practically with your comics uh, and your job so I would like if you can elaborate more on this yeah uh, let's see where to start <laughs> I I always I've always been super into reading so and I always mm. thought kind of of myself as the kind of a person who reads about other people's adventures and the kind of a person <laughs> who sits at home and has a big pile of books but but at the same time, I, I've always been really curious about the world. And, and I think it's the curiosity that's been driving me in many ways, kind of pushing me forward to try out different things. And I'm, I'm endlessly, you know, curious to see new places and meet new people. And, and bike travel, like uh, cycling, like across the US, like we did. A few years ago from New York to San Francisco is the perfect opportunity to meet people. You never meet as many people as you do on a cycling trip and you never really see people at their best the same way as you do on a cycling trip because people, mm-hmm. you know, people admire cyclists but they also feel bad for us. They also <laughs> feel sorry for us like cycling in the heat yeah. and the rain. So they invite us over to their house and mm-hmm. or they they offered to buy us lunch or whatever. And we've met with so much generosity over the years that, that I feel like, like bike travel really is one of those things that you, if you try it, you might really get hooked on it. Uh, mm. 
it's it's such a wonderful way of uh, of seeing the world through completely different eyes than you would when you travel just sort of uh, paying people for buying different goods or services and there's always money involved in your uh, in those transactions while when you travel and we also host bike travelers in our homes so mm-hmm. so it's a completely different thing it's this mutual generosity and i i strongly feel that that you know when you give the, give things to people when you do good deeds mm-hmm. that uh, it always balances itself out you know those good deeds will lead to other good deeds and and in the end somehow it'll come back to you but you shouldn't that's not like the way to um that i think about it in that yeah. moment uh, but but i feel that with these small you know acts of kindness we we can really change the world that that we mm-hmm. can create like a ripple effect and and on the cycling trips and paddling trips as well you know i've i've really seen the kindness of strangers in a way that's so inspiring that really that's one of the things that really keeps me going at the same time i guess getting the prosthetics for me that was back in 2002 so it's been a long time already that I've had them that was a big improvement for me like a big upgrade from my old feet so so I've always I've also been excited to try out try them out to see sort of uh, what the limits are Mm -hmm. of what I can do with prosthetics and I haven't really bumped into a lot of limits to be honest in a lot of ways if you have a passion then uh, usually, if you have a good prosthetician, they can figure out a way for you to do your thing. Okay. And I guess I I have a sort of an obsession of doing things in the right way, which <laughs> has also been like a challenge for me in in asana practice because I used to do ashtanga yoga, and you know it's very sort of systematic and strict, and there's a system. And I love systems, you know. I have the kind of a brain that enjoys having rules to follow and and having, yeah, instead of just doing what I feel like following a strict system is what makes me feel feel safe somehow. Mm-hmm. But but I was constantly feeling like I, I wasn't able to do things the right way. And, and that's something that I that I struggled with with Ashtanga Yoga. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm currently I'm I'm doing vinyasa a vinyasa practice which mm. you know has a lot of of the same intensity as the ashtanga practice but it's sort of more flexible in terms of different bodies and i really found a balance there what where i can challenge myself and mm. and at the same time the system isn't quite as rigid as yeah. in ashtanga so but that's like that that kind of um challenging myself that's always been something that I've somehow really enjoyed mm. I saw a picture on Instagram where you were doing Vakasana which is wow <laughs> oh yeah I never thought I could do that you know mm. but but one of the really great things about the pandemic you know I, I kind of feel 
bad even saying this because the pandemic's been so hard on so many people yeah. but but for me personally it was an opportunity to really focus on my on my spiritual practice on my meditation and yoga practice and, and one of the benefits has been that I've gotten to know more yogis internationally and I found a teacher online who who really sort of gets me and we somehow kind of have mm. the same kind of mindset and and the same kind of body as well in some ways I mean she doesn't have prosthetics but but her practice always it feels like very balanced to me mm. you know because we kind of have the same sort of uh the same type of, yeah mm. yeah something like that so so she's been able to inspire me to to try these things that I never thought I could do with mm. prosthetics and yeah I want to mention her name because she's True. such a great teacher it's Lori Pagliaroni she's mm. in Rhode Island in the U.S. but she also teaches online and, mm. and with Lori I've really uh, been able to to you know discover new aspects of of asana practice and and in that way uh I've been able to, to like I said, sort of uh, find a suitable, a suitable level of challenge for my mind because I wanted to uh, find a physical practice that's, uh, that's a little bit more favorable for my meditation practice than just going to the gym, you know. And I love, love like a tough spinning class with loud mm. music, but if you look at like the instructions that are given for meditation practice in the scripture or that mm. that I've gotten from my from my teacher bhakti yoga teacher swami triparari that kind of uh, super intense super loud competitive type of exercise isn't maybe the most beneficial thing mm. for meditation and I've I've kind of struggled with trying to sort of balance, you know, these these different um, personality traits that I have. That I have that need for for you know uh, for the meditation. I feel that it really is a practice that that keeps me balanced and keeps me grounded and and helps me, you know, avoid uh, slipping into that anguished. Uh, mm. depressed uh, mood that I was in before starting to practice but at the same time I I have that like curiosity and that that like mind that seeks out challenges and and I feel that that asana practice can like can be a good way for a person like me to uh, to find balance mm. more balance for the mind I've also started studying pranayama a little bit mm. uh, and incorporating that into my meditation practice as a way of controlling the mind and, yeah. and trying to sort of uh, have a more how to say focused and uh, uh, like a meditation practice that's uh, kind of more like those yogis you would read about you know sitting mm by a river meditating under a tree kind of trying to create that kind of a mindset that I'm not kind of running around and kind of like half meditating 
you know, while while putting together a shopping list in my mind, but <laughs> yeah. But you know, actually sitting down in a in a more purposeful mm. way, uh, more focused way, and, and pranayama has has really helped me mm. in that sort of incorporating these breathing exercises into the into the meditation. So I feel like, in a way, you know, I I started practicing meditation in '98 and. And I feel I really started in 2003 when I became initiated by my teacher. But, but these last couple of years, I feel like I've, I've finally sort of been able to go a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. And when I say this, I kind of, I'm afraid that, that I'm sort of in this bubble that's going to burst at any moment. You know how when you think that things are going so great, you're probably just about to step off the cliff. But, but I really felt lately that, that even though the practice kind of goes up and down, I felt like, like I've been able to sort of take it a little bit further by being more critical of, of the things that I do when I'm not meditating or when I'm not doing asana. You know, when I'm off the mat, uh, I need to look at those things and whether they're favorable or unfavorable. Yeah, that's very, very much where where you see if the yoga is working. You know, if you can really bring the yoga from the mat, off of the mat, so to speak. Yeah, and you are also one of the founder of uh, Ananda Yoga Journal. Is that correct in Finland? Yeah, yeah, we founded it many years ago in 2005, I think, and that was around the time when I had also started doing a little bit of asana practice myself, and and we wanted to to talk about different types of yoga and also about bhakti yoga mm. to present it to to people in a in a way that's easily approachable and sort of as a as a yoga path that that could really be be beneficial for so many people. Because yeah. a lot of times, traditionally, I think that bhakti yoga has kind of been uh, considered something that's a practice that's very intense and kind of takes up your whole life and you have to mm-hmm. kind of give up everything in order to practice bhakti. But I've been really happy sort of to see the change over the years when I've been practicing of how more and more people are approaching bhakti and and sort of incorporating it into their everyday life. And I've never been a monastic, you know, myself. So so I think that people can maybe even see me and, and see an example of a person who, you know, has, a, has their own home, has a job, mm-hmm. uh, has kind of their own life but at the same time also has bhakti as a big part of that life and yeah. and as a huge resource you know as sort of this foundation that i that everything is based on yeah so i i might not be you know singing and dancing on the streets <laughs> i mean who knows maybe maybe i might i i am really into song meditation so mm. maybe one day i will but but the the way that that I like to sort of uh, 
talk about bhakti to people is is through my work through our books and and also just trying to sort of uh, be the kind of a person that people feel that they can confide in or that they can approach if they need something you know just overall trying to develop that like service attitude that if someone mm. needs help they know that I'll be there for them mm. and I mean not like as some kind of a weird strategy to you know spread an ideology but but because service is such an integral part of what bhakti is all about yeah I I like to sort of uh or try to kind of think about relationships like that. That how can I help someone? How can I be of of use to others? Yeah, and the best way I think is sharing, right? Yeah, yeah. And we, you know, someone might look at me and look at my feet and think that I've had a difficult life because I have prosthetics and I, I, I mean, I have a pretty serious disability, but I don't really feel like I've had much difficulties to be honest you know that mm. that this would have been a great obstacle for me I've had a really good life and I've really been able to you know express myself and been really privileged in many ways and and in the end I think yeah someone might look at me and feel sorry for me and I might look at them and feel sorry for mm. them but they're like I look at someone who has small children and I think that that's got to be hard, you know, the <laughs> lack of sleep and the lack of time and they barely have any time for any kind of spiritual practice. And maybe that person will feel differently. Maybe they'll feel that it's a great opportunity to, you know, to be less self-centered by serving the child. And so in some ways, you know, your mind is your greatest obstacle yeah. and the way you see see your situation although I mean I don't want to say that there wouldn't be suffering I don't want to minimize someone's suffering because there are a lot of people who really are in a difficult situation and, and have a lot of obstacles but mm. I don't feel like I'm one of them even though my feet look a little bit different than most people's and I also want to sort of emphasize that I feel that that yoga and meditation is for everyone you know, and feet come and go. My feet, especially in a really, <laughs> in the in a litter, they literally come and go. Yeah, they get changed a few, switched out a few year every few years. But but what stays is our, you know, our heart and our mind, and and we can, we don't need feet or hands to do yoga. We don't even need ears or a tongue. We can meditate in our mind, and we can you know concentrate on on the holy names like i do mantra meditation and mm. a mantra you can do in your head even if you have nothing and you don't if you don't need to have any money or you know really necessarily even need to have special time to set aside anyone can can do it anywhere at any time and and that's what's so so awesome i think about bhakti mm. yoga that that it's really genuinely for everyone. Yeah, that's very beautiful. So what kind of tips or suggestions you have for people who, you know, who struggle with their life and um, they maybe try to, to make yoga part of their life, but they have difficulties 
because I see you you really made yoga part of your life as you say you know it's not that you separate the two things like you have your life on one side and maybe you go for a holiday in some ashram or something then you're practicing for that time no you you really make it all complete so which kind of practical suggestion you have for those people who struggle to do that well i feel it's taken me a long long time as well to be able to really integrate those things so that it's not something that i do when i'm on holiday or when i have the time but but to really have it as the foundation and to to make it a priority that that my spiritual practice is the first thing i do and then i'll do other things if there's time and not mm. vice versa that even like having that mental sort of uh, that mindset that this is the most important thing i mean try that try it out try like playing with that idea that what is the most important thing for you and and what if if meditation or yoga really was the most important thing and how would you how would you build your days around it if it was as important as eating as important as breathing i mean someone said that we never forget to eat but we might forget to do our practice and so that and that to me was like a big realization that that it should be as natural and as sort of a, um, essential mm. as eating yeah and of course in bhakti we can also uh, connect eating uh, to our practice which is another wonderful yeah. thing about bhakti that it can be uh, present in so many everyday things when we cook in a specific way and and uh, eat like sanctified food but uh, i i also found this great quote recently from the author Doris Lessing uh, mm. concerning finding the finding inspiration and finding the right time and and so on and she said whatever you you're meant to do do it now the conditions are always impossible mm. so the right time will never come <laughs> you'll never everything will never be in the right place for you to you know start doing yoga or go on that big trip or start a new career or do art or whatever it is that you're dreaming of doing if you're if you sit around waiting for you know the magical inspiration for the right moment when when you know the conditions will all be favorable it'll never come you just have to go you just have to like whatever whatever it is you want to do even if it's like even if you end up doing it really imperfectly really not like like that you know perfect picture that you had in your head but even doing it uh, in some way even a little part of it will you know give you such a feeling of uh, of satisfaction such a feeling of having actually fulfilled something instead of just thinking about it and talking about it that that'll that'll help you then take the next step and the next step you don't we we didn't start by cycling across a continent we started <laughs> by cycling to the next town from where we live and it was a one night trip we cycled back the following day but that already gave me this sense of accomplishment that was already the longest stretch that i had ever biked 
in two days. And, and then we took it further and further and further. And I mean, who knows where we'll end up, but, but if, if kind of even doing something small will give you that, will make you feel like, like you see your opportunities in a completely different way so i think a lot of times people have this kind of an all or nothing attitude yeah whether it is like an exercise or spiritual practice or yoga or whatever if i can't practice two hours every day i won't do anything because i've (laughs) failed and that's really such a pity because i think that if there's something that i've noticed over the years is that if you can find like a sustainable level that you can keep up be it as small as this might as it might but just like a something do something every day in order to to you know reach that that dream of yours and slowly you'll get there but you but if you do something you know full time you probably won't be able to keep it up because it'll be you're probably going to be pushing yourself too hard. Mm. Like if you want to run a marathon, you're not going to start by running a marathon. You're going to start by mm. going for a walk and then half walking, half running and so on. But a lot of times I think people also look at spiritual practice kind of as if it was a marathon that they tried to run on the first day. I tried meditation, but I didn't get these incredible spiritual experiences so it wasn't for me so I quit and like would you quit running like that if you if you didn't weren't able to run a marathon after a week or a month or even a year people might train for years for a marathon so so I think it's super important to to know bring that same kind of attitude to spiritual practice as well that this is a long-term project and and you find a level that you can keep up and then you gradually, it'll grow organically. Uh, but, but you don't push yourself like the same way. You don't want to push yourself with running. You're, you'll just end up with bad knees. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciated this conversation and I really like and to see how you, how you make up your life. As I said, you're a very inspiring person for me. So thank you again for coming to the show. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. I hope this episode fulfills its purpose of inspiring you. If you like it, feel free to share it, give a review or a rating, subscribe. And if you have any questions, please get in touch at aikoyogareiki.com. Namaste.